Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays. Here with me, as always, is Jay Jones. Hello. And this is Free For All Friday. Mm-hmm. It is. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Doing well. Doing yeah. well. Hope everyone you- is uh, doing well out there on the, a Friday. Yep. And uh, Jay, <clears throat> it's been fun. It's been fun doing this podcast with you. Yeah, good. But this may be the last one that we why that we ever do. Why? Well, September twenty fourth is coming. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some type of weird <laughs> stuff out there in the internet that something bad's happening on September September twenty fourth. September twenty fourth. Uh, it's yeah. uh, so this goes back to a a, a speech that someone in the German parliament made. And as I was researching it, I think the speech was made in February. Okay. February 22nd or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, but as he was talking, he said something that caught everyone's attention. Mm-hmm. That um, something along the lines of um, everyone will remember where they were on September 24th. Okay. Um, and uh, so what i what i was reading is that he meant to say february 24th but he said september 24th ah um and so people are wondering why was it like was it like a slip or or something is there what something on, planned for i i don't know february 24th that was the day that uh putin invaded that was yeah 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 putin invaded yeah. ukraine uh, right yeah so he had knowledge it was coming or something i don't i don't know yeah. Huh. Um, but anyway, so now people are thinking, well, something's coming on September 24th, mm-hmm. uh, which also happens to be sundown, September 24th, Feast of Trumpets. Oh, day. yeah. Feast of Trumpets. Uh, so all the uh, I thought ti- for sure, time, for sure. times uh, conspiracy people are. It's the end of the Mayan calendar, too. Oh, is it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, just made that up completely. Uh, but but do, you, do you remember that when people were yeah, saying yeah. that? Uh-huh. They, yeah. Their calculations were just off. Yeah, it's uh-huh. sep- September 24th. Um, goodness, that was 2012, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Time flies, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I found, a, uh, I found a TikTok video for you, Jay. Oh. I found a TikTok you video. You finding TikTok yeah, videos? Yeah, I found a TikTok video. Uh, and I thought that it would be fun to listen to this, Jay, because he makes, uh, he makes a solid... He's got a solid reason for why you should expect something on September 24th. Let's see if you you pick up on it. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, you may need to turn it up. I'm not sure. Okay. Let's, let's see what we got. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this uh, September 24th thing the German Chancellor said the other day about how everybody's going to remember where they're at on that day. Well... And then, you know, the Medvedev, the Russian premier said, you know, that the West was going to feel the heat and even melting the concrete. So it just got me curious and, uh, which I asked some friends to start digging into this. Well, first of all, 24th September is the Feast of Trumpets. So they could have a lot of, uh, indications for Christians that day, uh, I'm not going to go into that, but some may know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Creative Society Press Release. And they talk about uh, the uh, 24th of September will be a historic moment for Americans. Hmm. Well, 
The Simpsons did a uh, episode <laughs> called September 24th. The Simpsons. And uh, basically what it boils down to, talks about prepping, and then on September 24th, they had an EMP attack. Interesting. <laughs> so all these things put together, <laughs> I think, don't bet... The probability of some kind of like EMP attack is possible. Don't hold me to that. I'm not a prophet, and I don't see into the future. I'm just saying, going off what the Simpsons said and what this guy said and some other research that me and my expect something bad to happen on September 24th, and I hope it's not true. But just be prepared. And September is preparedness month. Imagine that. (laughs) Y'all have a good day. God bless. And I'm out. There you go. And I'm out. There you go, Jay. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, you know, there was a Simpsons episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not a prophet, but based on the Simpsons, (laughs) be be ready. Uh, Based off a speech given by the German chancellor and Uh what some Russian guy said and the Feast of Trumpets Uh being that day and and the Simpsons. And the Simpsons, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) High probability. Yeah. Well, I I thought you would enjoy that, Jay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, wow. But yeah, people. Are, I've seen people talking about September twenty fourth. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I'll be mowing my grass probably on September twenty fourth. That's probably yeah. what I'll be doing. Hopefully for the last time. Hopefully that day is an omen of doom upon my grass, <laughs> so that it doesn't grow anymore the rest of the years. So I can stop mowing it. Yeah. Well, I I came across another video. I thought I thought that I had um, I thought that I had saved it. But uh, it's a it's it's a guy who says, everybody, I've got a message from the spirit. September twenty fourth, it's going to be a day just like every other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I I thought that was I thought that was pretty funny. I was I was just researching and seeing what people were saying, and then I came across this guy that was uh, using the Simpsons. So. Yep, yep, yep. But that's not what we wanted to talk about today. No, now we're going to talk about the state of theology. Uh, we'll do some of it. We probably are going to have to maybe do some next time too, because there's just no way we're going to be able. To, we're not going to do a mega episode. We got stuff to do today. Uh, but we want to talk about some of the things in here. So the state of theology is done. Like, is it done every two years? I believe so. So every two we're, two years, Ligonier. <clears throat> Which was, it's uh, R.C. Sproul started the ministry, Ligonier. And we talked about this. Yeah. We talked about this when it came out. Last time, yeah, two years ago, uh, we a did little some. bit. We talked about it a little bit. Were we? I don't think we were doing video yet. Were we? I don't know. I think we were still doing just audio. Yeah, over in that little, uh, yeah, that little closet yeah, yeah. over there. Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> but this is uh, this is Ligonier Ministries. Um, that was founded by R.C. Sproul. Yeah, uh, and it's in it's uh, a collaboration with Lifeway, which is the Southern Baptist. Um, resource yeah for doing their research yeah uh which i always find ironic as we're going through it because we've talked about lifeway before (laughs) we've Mm -hmm. talked about their curriculum and the things that they promote and uh, i i just think it's ironic that they team up with ligonier for the state of theology uh study when a lot of the problems probably stem from things that lifeway sells oh yeah so um 
Yeah, they sell all kind of nonsense in there. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. <clears throat> all right. So let's go through a couple of these questions. And you can find this at thestateoftheology.com. Yeah. Thestateoftheology.com. So you can you can look through this is a big study and uh, it's it's really well done. The the website is really well done. You can go on and you can filter through a just a, a ton of categories and see what different uh, different categories how they responded to these questions. So thestateoftheology.com you can go yeah. on and look at this. Yeah. So uh, we'll go through some questions. We'll show them on the screen. We'll interact with it. Um, what I've done is I've put a filter on to have evangelicals show. show. So what do evangelicals believe? And as I said before on here, like the term evangelical is pretty much become a meaningless term. Mm. Um, I think people that are holding to um, historic Christian beliefs uh, beliefs of Christianity for the past 2,000 years, more and more evangelicals have deviated far from those. So the word almost means absolutely nothing anymore. It <coughs> used to be kind of a good word to describe uh, conservative Christians who had at their, uh, at their foundation the mission to take the gospel out into the world, hence the term evangel. Mm-hmm. Right, evangelical. Mm-hmm. So, the term's meaningless now, but it's still kind of used as a way to um, capture those that have historically been conservative Christians. So the filter is on. You'll see U.S. adult respondents, and then the filtered respondents is evangelicals. So let's take a look. The first question, George: God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. All right, what is the answer? You can see here uh, the U.S. population obviously is going to hold that. I mean, we're, what are we looking at here? Sixty something percent. You here? Look at evangelicals, George. Mm-hmm. Strongly agree. Yeah, forty-six percent strongly agree that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, Islam. So you have a total of. Between agree and disagree, fifty-six yeah. percent. Let's talk about it. Okay, okay. Let's do, let's <clears throat> let's do. Does the Bible teach that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam? Okay, so <clears throat> when I'm looking at these these questions, I try to to get into the minds of of people that would be answering this Mm -hmm. and often they'll um you know you'll you'll kind of cut out part of the statement you you only hear part of it Mm -hmm. um so i think that the thing that we need to um maybe focus in on is god accepts the worship of christianity judaism and islam Mm -hmm. and um i i think that that is a, a major problem in evangelical churches that they view um, Christianity, the God of Christianity, the God of Judaism, and the God of Islam as the same God. And I, I think even if we dropped off Islam and we just said Christianity and Judaism, I think a lot of Christians are confused on that. Mm-hmm. That They do think that the God that um, Jewish people worship is the same God as Christianity. And we need to be really clear that 
they are not the same God. Yeah, it's important to make this distinction. I think this is where the confusion happens. Mm -hmm. The God of the Old Testament is the same God as the God of Christianity. Right. And so all of the Jews of Jesus' time and the disciples who were Jews were worshiping the same God as the apostles Mm -hmm. and the prophets. Like They're they're worshiping the same God, Yahweh. Now, what happened after the destruction of the temple in AD 70 was that Judaism had to reinvent itself. Mm -hmm. And so the teachings of the rabbis became authoritative, uh, as authoritative as Scripture, the traditions of the rabbis. And it's this is recorded, it's, uh, what is it, the Talmud? Mm-hmm. They then, because of Christianity, reacted, because of Jesus and the claims of Christians, reacted to say, uh, no, um, there is, God is this way. There is no Trinity. Jesus is not God. Mm-hmm. He is a monad. Right, right, which has more in common with Islam, yeah. But um, and so then the teachings of even by the time of Jesus, Jesus is rebu- rebu- rebuking the rabbis mm-hmm. because they have already exceeded what God has taught. Right, they have added to God's law and made a hedge around it and added the traditions of men. Um, like woe to you, the scribes and Pharisees! You teach as uh, authoritative. I can't remember the phraseology. As God's word, the traditions of men. Mm-hmm. All right, so that you you take this now for hundreds and hundreds of years after the destruction of the temple, no priest, no sacrifices. They had to totally reinvent themselves. Then now we can say this: Judaism does not have the same God. Yeah, because we believe that Jesus is God, mm-hmm. and not partially <laughs> God, not like not one third God. That Yahweh is composed of, in the one essence of God, there are three persons who have eternally existed in this way, as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is a disconnect. If you go back to um, the screen and go back to statement two. Statement two, there is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And um, 96% of evangelicals strongly agree. Yeah. Um, and then, then you go to one, one, per, 1% is somewhat agree. So you got 97% of evangelicals um, agreeing at least somewhat that God is triune. Mm-hmm. And then you go to statement three and you've got a, a big disconnect. Yeah. And I think this is revealing the fact that we have, we have as an, as the evangelical movement has moved away from the, um, the the absolute necessity of worship worshiping the triune God, mm-hmm. right? So I think that uh, you've got you've got churches that are filled with people that would say, "Yes, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit," but they don't. It it has no practical outworking, mm-hmm. um, and so they can say God accepts the worship of all religions, even though Christianity is unique. Right. There there is no religion that worships God as triune. <clears throat> and that's how God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself not as unitarian as Judaism and Islam would teach, but he has revealed himself as triune. Mm-hmm. That's the only way that we can worship God. Right. Um and so there there is just this disconnect between the affirmation of the Trinity and what that actually means. Um, in terms of the the worship that God accepts, 
Yeah. He doesn't accept. He doesn't accept Unitarian worship. Yeah, I think it also teases out for us uh, what may come later as we move through these questions, that there's a, a, a big misunderstanding about the nature of man and the problem, um, how man does not have access or even the right to worship God, and that God doesn't accept the worship of man because we're sinful. But then also, I'm sure we'll get to statements about Christ, mm-hmm. that um, <clears throat> the the role of Christ and his mission and why he had to come, uh, because we believe he had to come <clears throat> in order to make our worship acceptable by God. Mm-hmm. That we don't approach God on our own. We right. can't. We have no right. We're fallen in sin. Mm-hmm. But through Christ, through his obedience, his active obedience, his perfection, and his perfect sacrifice for our sins, and God actually dealing with our sin in Christ, and then God giving us his perfection, we approach God through Christ. Like, in Christ, through the Spirit, we are able to approach God. Right. So I think this question reveals not only this, but that most evangelicals don't understand Christ, nor man. Yeah, I, I'm sh- I'm struggling to to deal with this disconnect between statement two and and other statements that we're going to see regarding um, who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is. I think there's just a really there's just a a, a real ignorance about what the Trinity is. Yeah, like there's a there is this theological formula that even liberal you know, Episcopalians might recite on a on a Sunday morning in the I don't know the, the Apostles' Creed or something. Yeah, right. Um, that doesn't work itself out in anything else. Mm-hmm. But um, we, as Christians, we need to understand that the Trinity is not just some peripheral um, doctrine that we can disagree on. The Trinity is at the very heart of our worship. First mm-hmm. um, uh, John, um, the letter of First John, the apostle says that he who doesn't have the Son doesn't have the Father. Mm-hmm. Well, what does what does Islam teach? What does Judaism teach? Yeah, they, they reject Jesus yeah. as the Son, mm-hmm. um, and so they can't have the Father if we if we're going to believe what the Bible says as true. They can't have the Father if they reject the Son. Yeah, um, and they can't come to the Father unless they come through the Son. That's Jesus's words in John fourteen six. Right, and in John five he says that uh, no one knows the Father except those right. whom He reveals. Right, right. Them too. Yeah. So, it's uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not good. That's you know what's why we we had suspected some of these things, you know, we picked the conference theme like well over a year ago because mm-hmm. we had the ice storm. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we are, our, this will be our last Christ centered churches conference. If you're interested in coming, go to, you know, uh, Christ centered churches, just Google it. Christ dash centered. Christ dash centered dot church. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we're having a conference on the Trinity in November, the right. first week end in November, it's Friday and Saturday, and we're doing it on the Trinity. Mm-hmm. So we'll be talking all about this. Right. I'm giving out some books and stuff too. So check it out. Sly little plug right there, Jay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, here's another. Plays into Trinity. God learns and adapts <clears throat> to different circumstances. So two issues in this 
this question is bringing up, I want to make clear. One is that God learns, meaning the theological term is omniscient. It would Omniscience means that he knows everything. His knowledge is exhaustive. He's never learned. So this says God learns, so he's not omniscient, and adapts, meaning God changes two different circumstances, okay? You can see here in the in the responses, obviously the general population um, is not going to understand God, but evangelicals, 43% strongly agree that God is not omniscient and that he changes. Mm-hmm. Thir- and 39% strongly disagree. Mm-hmm. So only 39% strongly disagree. That's That would be where we would be. It's in the strongly disagree. Right. Um, only 39%. So you got 43, you got, you know, you've got over, you know, you're close to 50%. And then you've got this not sure, mm-hmm. kind of splits the difference. So over 50% right. either don't know or, or agree yeah. that God learns and adapts to different circumstances. Um, again, I think it just reveals, I don't wonder how many generations it takes to get to this point that of teaching, the teaching of the churches has been obviously not theological, right? The sermons, the trajectory and the thrust of evangelical sermons, maybe for the past 50 years, have been kind of along a moralistic lines of that Christianity and God and Jesus, they are things that can make your life better. Right, and so preaching—we've talked about it before—are along these moralistic lines of how to be a good person and, you know, be a better whatever. How to manage your stress, your anxiety, like. Well, yeah, I agree with you, and and also I, I would add to that the um, the move, the shift away from um, exegetical, right, um, sermons that go through books. Mm-hmm. So. When you do that, when you do topics and you just kind of jump around, you're going to miss some things that are obviously important or they wouldn't be in the Bible. Right. So I, I think that um, part of the the problem that people have is you've got passages in the Bible that talks about God regretting. Yeah. Um, or God being grieved. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can interpret those in an accurate way without saying that he learns or adapts. But I think that in a lot of churches where the pastor just jumps around, he, he doesn't never deal with the text. He doesn't deal, he doesn't deal with those difficult texts. Um, the, one of the strengths of just preaching sequentially through a given book is that you don't have the option to, um, to skip over difficult passages. Mm hmm. Um, and there are difficult passages that deal with um, God and he grieves or he regrets that he made man um, in, in Genesis chapter 6 because of man's wickedness. Um, he grieves over um, Saul uh, in, in Saul's rebellion. So I think, I think in one sense we've got these difficult passages that are never dealt with. Uh, but I think in another, we've got um, the problem of, I'm going to get in trouble here, Jay, the problem with Arminianism. Uh-oh. 
Um, and the problem with Arminianism is that they they have um, you know this idea that God looks down the corridor of time mm-hmm. and sees who's going to respond to him, and then in response to that, he chooses. Yeah, that's how they deal with election. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a big problem there because it's got God as kind of this uh, this um, deified time traveler, right? And so he can look he can look into the future and he can see what you know so and so is going to do and how he's going to respond to the gospel. And then he, in response to what that guy does in the future, God comes back and does something, mm-hmm. right? And that simply is not the biblical view of God. That has God learning something. Right. That has God learning what someone is going to do. Even if it's in a moment of time, even if it was in eternity past, it still has God learning something. Um, God, God's actions are dependent upon what someone does in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not the way that God is described. <clears throat> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the the Bible doesn't present God in that fashion. I mean, we've I think we've even done that some episodes before where we've talked about the way the Bible does talk about God and those in that regard. But the Bible speaks about God as having perfect knowledge of all things mm-hmm. um, in a variety of different ways. Really, this is presented. I'm trying to grab a couple of verses here. Where is Isaiah? Let's see. Well, even in the even in the passage where um, it says that he, uh, where is it? Where God um, regrets making Saul king. Now I'm going to be stuck. Oh, yes. First uh, Samuel chapter 15, verse 10. Um, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then just a, a handful of verses later, um, verse 29, um, it says, Also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Mm-hmm. Now, we could view that in two different ways. Uh, one would be that the writer of First Samuel is something of uh, a moron and doesn't know that he's contradicting himself. Mm-hmm. You're completely lost in your. <laughs> yeah, I'm, um, uh, which, which we're not going to go. We're not going <laughs> to. We're going to assume that the writer knows that he has just written that God said, "I regret making Saul king." Right, and then um, just a few verses later, he says, "The Lord <laughs> does not have regret." Right. So we need to understand what's going on there. Uh-huh. Um, but also in Numbers, uh, it says that God isn't a man he doesn't change his mind right. um, so god doesn't he doesn't respond to the circumstances as if he's learning something new right um so I, I think the best way to understand those is in kind of a he condescends to human understanding uh-huh. like yeah. the language that's being used to describe this um this God who is um, above us, right? How does how how best to communicate this to finite creatures? <clears throat> yeah. Um. And so he uses the language of regret, mm-hmm. or or he he grieves, right? 
um, he doesn't grieve in the way that we grieve. Yeah. Um, there's also, I think, just coming off of that, uh, I think open theism mm. has influenced more than we understand. Mm. There's been a couple of, there's one very popular book on the problem of evil. Um, really, it was written, now I can't remember the name of it, it's a New York Times bestseller, written by a Jewish man, uh, I believe he was a rabbi, uh, he lost his son, son died, <clears throat> and I'm about to think of the name of it, but it's had massive influence actually on America, and the way Americans think, probably even in some evangelicals. His conclusion is that he jettisons the God of the Bible as, pre- as he presents himself because he can't grapple with the idea that God could have done something different and didn't do it, mm-hmm. right? Right. So this happened to his son. So he re- he kind of comes up with more of an open theist idea about how God is, that God is here <coughs> in our pain and suffering. He's right. present with us. Mm-hmm. He's responding to what happens, and, and but he, he he's sad that it happens, but he couldn't actually do something about it. Yeah. And somehow, I don't know how that's comforting, Apparently it is, but it became popular, I guess. Um, sold yeah. a lot of books. Mm-hmm. But I think people have latched onto this idea also because they don't understand how human freedom works. Yeah. Human freedom and God's sovereignty, they haven't really grappled with that. So, well, I think they're also trying to deal with the theodicy. Mm-hmm. Like, there's evil and suffering in the world. What do we do with that if there's a God? Mm-hmm. And so they... They um, they they bring God down to right. man's level. Um, he's grieving with us because he's entering into this suffering, and he didn't know it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, he's he's just as you know, sorrowful over it as right. we are. Right. Um, and I, I think that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, but listen to what uh, listen to how Isaiah describes God. And this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah mm-hmm. in Isaiah 46. He's talking about um, how God is uh, he's, um, sending destruction upon um, Babylon. Uh, that's the context. But uh, verses 8 through 11, it says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Mm -hmm. So God is not looking down the corridor of time and seeing um, someone named Cyrus, uh, the Persian, and saying, Oh, I'll use this guy. Right. God, uh, the things that happen in the future happen because God has decreed them to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, yeah. Pr- he's purposed it. <clears throat> he's, he's, hold, he's held his own counsel within the Trinity. Um, he, he has decreed what's going to happen, and then he brings it to, to, perp- to, uh, to fruition. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, and this is... that's, that's what God does. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, this would be in every major confession, uh, Protestant confession, yeah. that's available in history. Mm-hmm. So it's not till recently that this 
faulty view of who God is has emerged. Right. If it did emerge back then, it, it gained no ground. So, um, yeah. So how about God changing? Um, that goes, I guess that's coupled hand, it goes hand in hand with, with, uh, with not knowing. And this is a frightening thing. Yeah. Because, Cause why, cause why would he change? Why would he change? Well, so if God can get better, mm-hmm. like, like that's how we change, right? We either get better or we get worse. Right. If God can get better, then he's not God, right? Yeah. Because God is, as has been confessed by Christians again for 2000 years, perfect perfect in his being and all of his attributes are perfect right so there's nothing lacking in any of the attributes of god he is perfect and some people call his attributes his perfections mm-hmm. in theology right and so if he can get better he's changed but what if god can get worse right that's terrifying mm-hmm. and that means he's not god as well yeah. uh, and he tells uh, i mean he tells israel in it was Malachi, is it chapter three? Yeah. Chapter three. Uh, uh, yeah, three or four. Yeah. They're unfaithful to God in the covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says, uh, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O Israel, are not consumed. Right. Like if God changed, that means he could just all of a sudden be like, you know what? I'm done with you. I tried. I've been faithful to you and you keep going to the idols. And so now I'm done with, I'm done with the covenant. I'm not faithful to the covenant anymore. Yeah. Goodbye. Right, but God never changes; He's always faithful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's. Um, I mean, that's that is the hope. We talked about this in in Hebrews chapter six. This is the hope that we have that God doesn't change. Mm-hmm. So it's it's His oath, right? Uh, if you remember when we talked about God swearing an oath, mm-hmm. He swore an oath not because He had to, but to give greater encouragement to. The heirs of the promise, right? Um, so that by two unchangeable things, the fact that he uh, he has made a promise mm-hmm. and he's made an oath, and based upon these these theological foundations, that he doesn't lie and he doesn't change. Mm-hmm. So we have hope, and it's right. like an anchor that yeah. holds us within the veil. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, Hebrews chapter thirteen, Jesus. Is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. um, that's immutability, right? Immutability. He doesn't change. Yeah, James, uh, James one seventeen. Uh, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who, with whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. Yeah. So there are very clear verses, right? And mm-hmm. the. And the that picture given is like you know, like on a sundial, the sun moves; it's moving, it's changing. So the shadow is moving and changing. Yeah. Well, God is light; He is perfect, and there is no shadow due to change. Right. So he doesn't change. Yeah. And these are explicitly clear verses about God not changing, and yet you know, in this question, over fifty percent. What are we? At? I mean, it's and it has deep theological repercussions. This is not something that's like, well, you know, theologians disagree on this stuff. It doesn't, you know, if God, you can hold to either position. How can you trust? If you hold, if you hold to a God that changes, you can't trust Him. Yeah, how can you trust God with like what is the most important, your eternal salvation? Yeah, if He promises you something and He changes, how do you know He's going to fulfill what He's promised you to do? How can you entrust your soul to Him? Right. Uh, Is and I mean, it is 
is God a God that changes? I mean, that's like the Roman gods. Mm. Like people are on edge all the time. It's fickle. Like, like, fickle God. Yeah. Like, oh, I didn't go to my little thing and, you know, offer my salt or whatever. And now, right. now all my crops are going to burn up because yeah. this God is always on edge and looking to like ruin our life. That's people lived in fear of those gods because they always changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but God, God's not like that. He doesn't change. Yeah. I, uh, I ran across this Spurgeon quote that I was holding on to for Hebrews 13, but everyone will forget by the time we get there. Probably. Uh, Spurgeon says, Consider what you owe to his immutability. Though you have changed a thousand times, he has not changed once. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the hope that we have, that um, our salvation is not dependent on us, who we change our minds a thousand times a day. Right. Uh, God has not changed once. And so we have hope. Yeah. God's not back there running audibles, like reading the defense, right. calling, calling audibles adjusting plays, mm-hmm. hoping in the end that he'll get into the end zone and win. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Uh, where do we go from here? What you got? Hang on, Larry. You can switch it back to us. I got to find the next question. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, this one's bad. <laughs> All right. Didn't take long. Didn't take long. Uh, it's a statement six. Yikes. Okay. All right. Yeah, this is... This is a real bad one. Yeah, this, this is uh, this is really bad. And this again, the disconnect between statement two and the the this statement on the Trinity and this statement. I don't understand. I, I don't see where they're. I again, I think that we have these these uh, these great historical creeds. The the uh, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene, um, Chalcedonian, uh, the uh, the. Um, uh, Athanasian, Athanasian, right? We've got all these great creeds that that tell us these great biblical truths, and I think they've just become these rote sayings that that people say. It's it's like the Lord's Prayer, like you don't really think about what you're saying; you just mm-hmm. say it, right? Um, and so, I, the the reformers the reformers viewed the Reformation as a recovery of Trinitarian theology. Mm. Which might strike people as as odd because the Roman Catholic Church they they fully confess the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the you know the Chalcedonian, Athanasian, the, these creeds that that very strongly declare Trinitarian theology. Yeah. But what the what the reformers were saying is that um, it's not it's not having an active effect on everything else. Mm-hmm. So it's just a it's just a statement. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But it's not affecting anything. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. I think. I think we're there again. Yeah. I think we need. We need a reformation uh-huh. um, because we've got people that would say, "Oh yeah, I believe in the Trinity: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit," and then they'll say this. Right. <laughs> then they'll spout blasphemy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this one is crazy. How many? The percent. Look at that. Seventy strongly. Strongly agree. Seventy percent. Three agree. Jesus is the first greatest created being. So I mean, this is uh, this is Arian. This is Arianism, mm. um, which was dealt with uh, at the Council of Nicaea. The church had a big council about this, and uh, Arius w- and his followers were um, were corrected. Now, they didn't they didn't change their ways. And Arianism has always kind of lurked there in the background, I think, in a minority of people. And it became so, a political football. Mm-hmm. 
like depending on the where the emperor was um the Arians might gain favor mm-hmm. or they might fall out of favor and that's why Athanasius was exiled what three times in his life I mean he'd get exiled and then he'd be brought back yeah. exiled and be brought back and it was because of this it was because of Arianism yeah so they you know the church has clarified what's in the Bible so Jesus I mean the first the, the opening the opening chapters of the Gospel of John make this clear I mean we've, we've talked about Christ appearing in the Old Testament yeah but the question is you know is he a created being this is what uh today um uh, who is it? Jehovah's Witnesses. Yep. They believe that Jesus is the Archangel Michael. Uh huh. So they would say Jesus is the first created being, and God created everything else in the universe through him. Mm-hmm. Right. But he's not God. Mm-hmm. So uh, John chapter one. <clears throat> even you know, even Mormonism would say that Jesus is like the biological right son of of God. So they're not. Yep, it's not one. It's not two persons in one being. It's two. It's two individuals. Right. Yeah. So Jesus, the name Jesus is given to the incarnation, mm-hmm. the birth right. of the second person, of the Trinity, the eternal Son. So uh, that's when the name comes. But before that, <clears throat> he is the eternal Son. Mm-hmm. The this the the Word, as John calls him, and Christian teaching has been that. The Father has eternally begat a son, and that's confusing to us because right. we only think so, think of like begetting as something that happens as a moment in time. Mm-hmm. But to be eternally begotten is to eternally proceed from. Right. The best way to think, I think, is like to think of a fountain, uh, and that's the historical right. way that that the Father has been You're right um, considered. He's uh-huh. the fountainhead. Yep, and the and the son has eternally come forth from him. Right. But the key word is eternally. There was never a time right. when the father was not a father, and there was never a time when that son was not a son. Mm-hmm. And again, this is beyond anything in our world, so we can't get it. So what do people right. what do people do? They come up with theologies that they can grasp. Yeah, bad that, analogies. Right. And then they say, Well, the son had a beginning. But I mean, John, it's in here in the Bible, it's in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, that would be Jesus before his incarnation, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we have uh, persons, Yeah, there. I'm with you right now, we're looking at each other, um, this Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right. So that's clear. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. End of this uh, introduction to John's Gospel, he makes uh, the statement that no one has ever seen God. The only God, that's Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Right. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing in his incarnation we see what the Father is like. He also makes statement in um, in John chapter ten, uh, what is referred to as um, like mutual indwelling. That he'll say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, and that they are one. And what happens? 
they pick up stones to stone him because mm-hmm. they know what he's saying. Right. He's saying, like, we have, have that terminology in the Old Testament, God is one. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. And Jesus is saying, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, we are one. Um, and they, they can't accept that because they know what the claim is, is that, yes, there's a Father, there's a Son, and we are mutually in each other, and this is uh, beyond what they're willing to accept. Uh, they think it is heretical. It's heresy. So Jesus is not the first created being. Uh, Jesus is as much God as the Father is God. He's not a third. Um, he doesn't share in some attributes in common. He has all of the attributes. Mm-hmm. Right. And... Yeah, we see this. Um, so if uh, <clears throat> you know you um, are talking to a Jehovah's Witness, they've got their own translation. Mm-hmm. They change it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was a God. Mm-hmm. Which again, that doesn't square with their theology because Jesus would be a created being. But anyway, um, what do you do with it? What where do you go with a Jehovah's Witness if you're just using? Their translation. Mm-hmm. Well, they they change they change some stuff, but they don't change. Everything. They forgot they forgot some things. They don't change everything. Um, there are other places that you can go. You can go Colossians, and it's it's really easy. You can go to Colossians chapter one. You can go to Hebrews chapter one. You can go to Revelation chapter one, and you'll see the deity of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, now you need to be able to explain, especially Colossians chapter one. You need to be able to explain some of these terms. But you look at Hebrews chapter one, and um, he's not like an angel. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of Hebrews chapter one is that he's not he's not an angel. Right. He's not a created being. He is the eternal son. He is God. Um it, it can't get any clearer than Hebrews one um verses eight through uh goodness, the rest of the chapter, really. It says, But of the Son, he says, Your throne Oh God, <laughs> he's, he's, he is called God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. So there's, there is, he's being called God, but he also is distinguished from God. So mm-hmm. you've, got, you've got two persons, um, at least in the, the Godhead here. Uh, verse 10, um, he's... He's taking a passage from Psalm 102, which is directed to Yahweh, and he's applying it to the sun. Mm-hmm. He says, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same. There's the uh, immutability, right? Mm-hmm. And your years will have no end. Um, and he directly contrasts this with the angels. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Yeah. He's not one of them. <clears throat> yeah. He's not even the greatest of all creation. Mm-hmm. He is apart from creation. He's not a part of of the created order. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, another one I think that they didn't take out was Isaiah, uh, Isaiah forty-two eight, mm-hmm. which God says, "I am Yahweh. There is that is my name, my glory I give to no other, mm-hmm. nor my praise to carve idols." And then in John, uh, you clearly see 
I believe, three times, but for sure, too, there's one in John 12, where Jesus says, His hour has now come, um, and for the Son of Man to be glorified. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay. Uh, but then in John 17, yeah. he says again uh, that he desires for his people to be where he is so that they could see his glory, the glory that he had with his Father. Right. Yeah. God doesn't share his glory with anybody. He right. shares it with Jesus Yeah, because Jesus is God. Right. So. Yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 5 through 11 Mm-hmm. Um, it, again, we need to be familiar with our Old Testament so that we can we can see these things when they pop up in the New Testament. You know, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, um, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's that is uh, that's a, a passage that's taken from the Old Testament. It's taken from Isaiah, where um, Yahweh says mm-hmm. that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Well, so Paul is applying Old Testament passages about Yahweh to Jesus. Yep. And he does it without any bit of discomfort. That's right. He's he he is very bold mm-hmm. um, because he knows that Jesus is the Son. He's eternal. He is God. Yeah. That's right. All right, let's uh, let's cut it off here, George. I okay, know we're at right at, right at fifty minutes, but I don't want to jump into any because it is taking us a little bit to describe these. Okay, we'll come back. I think next time we'll do a few more. We've okay. got to address uh, heresies regarding the Holy Spirit <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and the doctrine of man, uh-huh. uh, and we'll probably even maybe even get to some uh, people's view of the Bible, yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So, okay, all right, awesome. All right, well, you want to shut us down? There. I did it last time. Uh, all right. All right. Jay hates it. it. Jay hates it. doing it. Go for Jay, it. Jay hates Jay hates <clears throat> shutting us down. I don't know why. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's the thing. Hopefully this has been um, beneficial for you. Um, I would encourage you to go onto the stateoftheology.com and look at the survey for yourself and uh, and see how would you answer these questions. Um, And they need to line up with what the scriptures teach. So we hope that we've been able to help you a little bit with these questions. And uh, if we have, please make sure to like, subscribe, share, get the word out because obviously uh, a great many evangelicals Um, are believing heretical things that are not true about God and about the Scripture. And we want to do everything uh, to help you to become more and more conformed to Christ. We'll see you next time.